Have you guys ever heard someone say, well, blah, 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 at least it's God's plan? Have you ever heard that before? No one's ever heard that phrase. It's God's plan. Anybody? Amen. Okay. Everyone has heard it, right? Uh, There are two places I hear it a lot. Hospitals is one, of course, you know, when we're facing illness or sickness. We don't know how to make sense of it, and we say, well, you know, (sighs) cancer, right? Hey, but God's plan, right? He has a plan. The other place I hear it a lot is on Twitter. Does anyone follow… I'll say this way. Is anyone really big into sports? Anyone? No one's in the sports. Please, a bunch of liars. Gracious. Okay. Uh, so, what happens right now is if you're really into sports, you can't help but hear about different recruits that your school is going for. It's so one of the things that happens on Twitter is, you know, I'll be following certain sports writers because I like to see their takes and whatever. And when, like, what they'll do is, like, they'll, like, retweet certain players. Oh, this player just said this, or this player said that. And so there's always a moment where a player gets injured, right? This awful injury, it's gruesome, their legs spun around, and, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about? The ones that are like, we will not be showing the replay of this. Okay. <laughs> and so a few hours later in the hospital, what they'll do is they'll make a post. Hashtag God's plan. Come back stronger. I'm like, no, you are not. <laughs> I saw what happened to your knee. You're not coming back stronger. If you walk, that would be terrific, right? If they, uh, you know, they, they don't get enough playing time. Oh, you know, I don't see the field very much, so I'm going to transfer. I'm going to enter the transfer portal, right? And when they transfer, they say, oh, hashtag God's plan, right? It is a way for us to understand things that don't make sense to us. We, we lay this blanket answer over it. I don't know how to wrestle with this experience. So you know what? Surely it was God who did this. If God isn't the one who did this, then who did, right? Who do I blame? Who do I point my finger at? Who do I look to in this? Now, in the same way, have you ever heard someone say, and it's often people who don't come to church, people who don't believe in God, they say, you know, I can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank, right? Allow people to die of cancer, allow babies to die young, allow war and genocide and rape. And they say, I cannot believe in a God who will allow suffering, right? This is kind of an… This is the exact same understanding of God, but it's just the other side of the coin, right? If God is responsible for all things, then surely all things good and bad, we have to look back and say, you know what? Hey, big guy, it's your fault, right? Hey, I just got a promotion. God's plan. Hashtag. Amen, right? (laughs) Um, I just lost a loved one. Surely that's, I guess, God's plan as well. I hear this a lot. This is one of the most common things I hear for people who are struggling with their faith. They are, they've always had this narrative of God is in control of everything. You ever seen a puppeteer before, right? They have a little stage, they have the puppets, they kind of move them, little strings attached to everybody, you know? And they've gone through life with this story. God is up there somewhere, because we all know God's up there. It's my favorite thing to talk about, right? He's just floating up there somewhere, right? North Pole, just a few hundred feet above anybody. Okay. He's got strings and everything, and he's just kind of working it all together going, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is great, right? And he just has a blast, you know, and he gets these two people to be married, and he gets these two people to be in a car crash and die, and oh, that's kind of gruesome. What happened there, right? Well, you know, it's just God doing His thing, being God, right? There is another extreme, right? So if that's one way that people see God in the world, there's another way to see it. 
you know what? Forget all that God stuff. You know what? Your life is in your hands. Your life is what you make it. Have you guys ever heard that? Come on, you're all American. You've all heard this, right? Work harder. Do better. What do you tell your kids, right? A B, do better. Your life, you know, it, son, if you don't get good grades, you're not going to go to college and get a bad job, you're going to be broken, be angry, you're going to be a terrible dad, right? All these things you tell your kids, all of us, right? Consequences, right? This is the way the world works. Your world is in your hands. Make what you want out of it. And so typically, there are people at the top of this world with a lot to show for themselves, and they love that narrative. Look what I've done. Man, I've worked hard. I made all the right choices. I was disciplined. Hey, all those suckers without Lamborghinis, you know what they didn't do? Make the right choices. Don't do drugs, kids, right? Come on. Do you guys ever see the, um, the dare dog? Do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, we have some age differences, right? Everyone's going, what are you talking about? There used to be a dog who would come into your school, and he had like a trench coat. Which, by the way, if there's someone selling drugs, it's the dog with the long trench coat, right? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, what do you want? (laughs) And he would come and tell you, kids, don't do drugs or else. Right? I tell you, hey, if you make bad choices, your life is what you make it. Make the right choices. And so we raise our kids up, and we tell them, you know what? The world is in your hands. If you work hard, you make the right choices, you stay away from the bad people, you will end up having an awesome life and be happy. So we teach them this. And in church, we put different words on it. If you go to church, if you serve, if you give, if you're unhappy, you're probably not giving enough. Amen, right? And we tell them, hey, make the right choices. Do these things the right way and everything will work out for you, right? And sometimes that story, that narrative, that box of looking at the world doesn't work. Because you end up having someone who, say, is in our body, who makes the right choices, who's always faithful, and they're, they're smart, and they make the right choices. They always were staying away from the bad people, and then bad stuff happens to them. And we go, wait, I thought that if I just did the right things, everything would unfold the way it was supposed to. So we have these two extremes of how the world works, and As you guys typically know at Grace Church, I like to tell you the answer is almost always somewhere floating in the middle, right? And so often when people come to my office struggling with their faith, it's because one of these narratives has not worked. Hey, I've done all the things you said to do, and bad stuff is happening. I'm unhappy and I'm mad. Because you told me if I did this, then God would take care of me. Or the other extreme. You said God was in control. I had nothing to worry about. God has a plan. Amen. But I've been waiting for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and that plan isn't panning out. What do I do now? Who do I look to? Who do I be angry with? Who do I blame? And so uh, on Facebook, I said, I've got two promises today. One, that you're going to learn a new word. And that two, if you allow it to, this word is going to change the way you see God. In almost everything in your life, there is an interplay, right? There is something that has value, but you will only get the value out of this thing based on how you choose to interact with it. This morning is definitely one of those things. So the word for you this morning, timshul. Timshul. It's a Hebrew word, right? It's actually a variant on a Hebrew word. Timshul. Now, I actually heard this word a few years ago, and I I thought to myself, that is a beautiful word. Um, 
Who's ever read Steinbeck? Anyone read uh, East of Eden? Trust me, you're not missing a whole lot. <laughs> it's beautiful writing. It's, it's, it's a terrific kind of a, a insight into the human condition, but it's not exactly a lot of fun to read, at least not for me. It's not my leisure reading, okay? But in college, you might have had to read it, maybe in high school, Steinbeck's East of Eden. And this word got fame in this story. So one of the things that happens in this, in this novel is they basically they go into this, this situation where these people are all experiencing this life that isn't fair, if you would. And so these two men end up having conversations with the rabbi, and it takes them to a story in the Scriptures. Genesis 4. I'm going to take you there. Genesis 4, verse 1. I'm going to read the whole thing. It won't take us very long. There's a few words I want us to kind of zoom in on. So verse 1 in Genesis 4. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she can see, oh I, oh, I just love the New King James. It said he knew her. What are they talking about, guys? Come on now, adults in the room. What's, <laughs> yes, right. Uh, I think the uh, NIV says uh, made love to her. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> it sounds more like romantic, right? He knew her. Okay, so. New King James, right? He knew her, right? And she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was the keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought out of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Verse 5. Here's where the story gets its, its root. This is where the story begins to be born here in verse 5. But God, he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry. His countenance fell. Um, for countenance, I like to put soul. So yes, countenance is the outward, right? But the outward is always showing us something on the inside, right? This human being is, is broken now. There's something on the inside that is, has, has deeply wounded him. Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you notice, I always like to kind of point out that in the Scriptures, they do a beautiful job of showing different worldviews, right? Is this how you view God? Is this how you view God? If you do the right thing, surely you'll be rewarded, correct? This is what we're reading right here, right? Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. It desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Verse 8, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am, am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. A fugitive and a vagabond. Think about those two words, a fugitive and a vagabond. Someone who is always being pursued, a fugitive, a vagabond. Someone who has no home. You will never have a home. You will never have a family. You will never have a place where you belong again. Now, if you talk to the, 
this camp. God has a plan. Amen. What this story would tell you is that God has people who He has planned to bless, like Abel. It's not up to us to question it because, you know, we're just the clay. How do we have a right to ask the potter what He chooses to do? He makes one piece of clay to give it good things and to use it, you know, for, as a flower pot, if you would, in His house. And He chooses to have another thing and to smash it and throw it into the fire and burn it. It's not our place to question, right? So Cain, sorry, man, you got the short straw. Nothing you can do. Amen. God has a plan. Hashtag. His plan for you is to be lonely, to never have a family or a home. Hope you, uh, you know, to God be the glory, I guess. Whatever. The other extreme, right? Cain, this is what you get when you kill people, right? You're all being really stiff today. Come on, you got to have fun with me. This is what happens, Cain, when you make wrong choices. Son, when you choose to go and kill someone, you be, be made a vagabond and, you know, cursed on the earth. It's consequences, right? Now, if you are reading this story just for the first time, you've never heard it before. There are a few things that you would notice, but here's one major one that you would kind of notice in the story. You would say to yourself, why is it that God responds this way to Abel? to his fat of the, of the, uh, the livestock, because that's an awesome gift, right? We all know what God wants for Christmas. Anybody? Fat of your animals? Huh? Yeah? Come on, you got to laugh. These stories are crazy, right? Awesome! You know, here's God in heaven with his, you know, strings. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> More fat. Beautiful. You know, I couldn't whip that up on my own, but thank you for that. Here comes Cain, right? Interestingly about this, Cain is doing what his family has always done. Cain is actually fulfilling what God spoke over his parents, right? The first gardeners on the planet, Adam and Eve, right, where they were told to take care of this plant, to tend it, right? To, to, the word is to rule over it, but to exercise stewardship, right? To foster, take care of this planet and to pull from it all of its fruit, right? Cain is actually walking out the commandment his father, his father and his mother had received. In the garden, there was no commandment to kill any animals, to murder anyone, to take any blood, to, to shed uh, any fat. But yet, he's the one who gets the short end of the stick. Now, if you would just read the story like a story, okay, if you weren't afraid of it because it's not in the Bible, if it were just some kind of children's story, you would go, that doesn't seem fair. Would you say that? That doesn't seem fair. Anybody brave enough to say that? Anyone? Is it fair? See? Ah, no. Mm -mm. God's plan. Don't question that thing. Danger. Danger. Right? This is not fair. Why in the world are you going to bless this and accept this but not the other? There are all sorts of sermons we could do. We can open that up, but that's not really the point of this morning. I want you to see that there are circumstances. There is an experience that Cain has that Abel does not have. Abel receives affirmation, acceptance, embrace, right? Son, great job. Cain receives the opposite, rejection. I will not receive that. And the consequences are what folds out for us. Now, before we dig more into this, I want to show you a few different things. Now, this word timshul, it's a variant. So, it's not a word by itself. It comes from another word. It comes from a root of a word. And to understand this, we kind of have to understand a little bit of Hebrew. We're not going to bore anyone this day. But the root word is this, mashal. You say that? Mashal. 
There you go. He learned some new words today. And it means this, to rule, to have dominion, to reign. But here's the word I like the best, to have power. To have power. And so, when you begin to work on the variants of this, here's where you get to the word temptual. If we have any scholars in the room who are going to like really be all over me about this, there are scholars who are not sure temptual is the actual right variant of the word. So, if you, if, you know, just for anyone on the podcast, I do, I am aware of this. There's a point I'm going to use it for. Now, in the King James, in the original, one of the first English translations we see, the way the King James translates this section in verse 7, right? If you go back to verse 7 of chapter 4. It says this, it says, uh, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you, if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. And here's the important thing. It's desires for you, meaning sin. It's coming for you. And, and so here's how the New King James puts it. But you should, right, you should rule over it. Now, the King James says this. It says, you shall rule over it. Is there a difference between you should and you shall? Yes? Okay, so when it says that you shall, it's in this camp, right? It's already been predetermined either way, right? Because God is going to make sure that you go over this thing. You're going to overcome this sin because God has already predestined that you shall, right? Now, the original, the American Standard Version says this, but will you? It's a question. It's over here in this camp. This whole thing falls into your hands, Cain. Are you going to or are you not? Your future is in your hands. If you're going to be cursed and a vagabond, it's in your hands. Now, if you go to a translation I like a lot, which you guys have probably never read, right? The JPS, it's a Hebrew translation. It says this, Thou mayest. If you're taking notes, put this down. The word timshul. When you use this variant of the word, it says this, thou mayest. So, sin is coming for you, Cain. I can either say, you shall, it's already predestined, you're either going to fall to it or overcome it, or it's, it's all in your hands. Use some willpower, would you? Anybody, come on, this is, this is good. Hey, stop sinning, just stop it. I love that one. As a pastor, that, that, that's, that's not always the best advice. Hey, just stop sinning. It's easy. Just do it. Say no. Shut it down, right? Come on, guys. You got to wake up. And then there's this other approach to it. Thou mayest. Thou mayest. Meaning, there's a path that goes this way. There's a path that, that goes this way. Thou mayest. Now, I want to kind of begin to open this up a little bit for us. This word, Timshul, the reason this word has the ability to change how you see God is this word attacks right to the heart of how we believe God is working in the world. Unfortunately, for most of us in the room, we will not take this seriously at this point in our life. It's hard for us to. What's hard is... Whether you work with this story where God controls everything, there's always a plan, just trust God, it's all going to work out. Or you're in this camp, hey, just make the right choice, will it, do it, do it. You will only reconsider and wrestle with that when you face pain. Until then, this is not an important thing for you. 
hey, if I'm going through life and if this answer works, hey, God has a plan. You will use that until it doesn't work anymore. If you're doing great right now in life and you're making all the right choices and you can will yourself to it, you will continue to stay in this camp because it feels great. Hey, you know what? I did that. That was me. Amen. Hallelujah. You know what? I'm a pastor. You know why? I made better choices than you. Amen. Hallelujah. Mic drop. I read the Bible more than you. I prayed more than you. I fasted. So you know what? That's what's happening here. Feels good to be in this camp, right? It feels good in this camp because you know what? We have power. Mashal. We have the power in this camp. And then sometimes when, when life gets off its rails and we can't make sense of things, well, I did everything right with my child. Why are they going off and doing this thing? Hey, I met... I tried in this, sometimes there's comfort over here that says, you know what? God has all the power. I'm not even in the driver's seat. I'm just in the back seat of the car, and he's driving. So sometimes when you are exhausted, you can't even wrestle with it. You just can't anymore. This camp feels good. You know what? God has a plan. I, I just can't anymore. God has a plan, surely. But there are issues with both of these answers. Here's the first one. If everything is already determined, if, if God is up there playing His strings, here's the first problem we have. There is an image of God that begins to brew inside of us that is a little bit dangerous. So now I'm saying that every awful, harmful, nasty, despicable thing that happens on this planet, God be the glory for that rape. Amen. Hallelujah. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It doesn't work some places. Answer some places begins to take us to places that we just don't, oh, I don't know about this. I, I don't know about that. The problem with this answer is it makes your life almost meaningless. If everything is going to unfold, and the only unfolding shows if I'm picked or not, if I begin to sin, if I make bad choices, all that's showing me is that God already created me for, for one purpose, to reject me. That I am an orphan, a vagabond on the earth who will never have a home or a place because I was created to have no belonging whatsoever. So what does my life matter whatsoever if I have no control over it? I'm just floating through the world. And you wonder why people get angry and bitter towards God in this camp. But those of you who feel comfortable over here, there's a problem here too. So you're telling me that all I've got to do is apply some willpower, you know, some energy, you know, discipline myself, read that Bible, you know, listen to Air One on the way to work. Anybody? Come on. I got to speak the right things. I got to do the right stuff, and then I'll get it. And so there's a problem here. What happens when bad things happen? What happens when I'm doing my literal best? I'm, I'm doing the church thing. I'm praying. I'm trying to be a better husband, trying to be a better pastor, and then something awful happens. What happens when I come down with an illness? What happens whenever I lose my job? What happens when bad, evil things hit my life? What happens when I'm born into a broken home? What, what happens when I'm born into a situation where I'm being sexually abused and I have no control over this? Whose fault is it? Are you seeing this? 
If I control my life, then every bad thing that happens to me, I've earned it. You have no idea the harm that both of these camps can do. Right? People come back into my office and they have no self-esteem whatsoever. They've been abused and just the worst experiences in their life. But in their mind, this story says, you earned it. You deserve that. That's who you are. You're trash. You are powerless. This is what God wants your life to be. God has a plan. Amen. Hallelujah. See, it... <laughs> In this camp, there will be a place where if all your life is, is this, it will lead to an empty soul. There are people uh, growing up in the 90s in the church. Who was in the church in the 90s? Anyone? Okay, the Satan that we were fighting was evolution. Amen? Get that out of our churches and our schools. Get out of here, right? Now, how you feel about that is not the point. But there's a phrase about this that we would say in the churches. If you tell a kid they come from monkeys, expect them to act like what? Monkeys. Amen. Hallelujah. So what's going to happen? You tell a kid they have no control over their life. Everything's predestined. No choice of yours matters. Nothing is really up to you anyway. How do you expect them to live? Hey, the burden of the world is just on your shoulders. You are alone in this. It's all up to you. Every choice, every outcome, every circumstance, what you're born into, what you're exposed to, how you respond to every single thing in your life, it's all up to you. There's no help. You are alone in your own canoe going up the river. That's it. It's all up to you. How do you expect someone to react when they're alone in the universe? It's all up to you, son. And we wonder why we raise churches where everyone lives for themselves. Everyone takes care of themselves. Everyone's selfish and competitive and hateful and judgmental. Because you know what? It's all up to you. And if you're going through pain, it's your own fault. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, all that Jesus stuff, whatever about that. Make the right choices. Amen. Is there a different reality. And so there is the camp where everything is already predestined. God is just, this whole thing has been played out. It's the world is a set of dominoes. The first one's already been pushed, and every one of them is going to fall in place. You have no power. You are powerless in the universe. If God chooses to accept you or to reject you, has nothing to do with your choices, has everything to do with just why He made you, to love you or to punish you. Those are only two options. Or even a fun, weird combination of both, if you can fathom that. And the problem with this camp is that we have no understanding that sometimes there are things that we cannot control. Um, I have an awful joke I say to my wife. Uh, I will share this with you, and please do not think less of me as a parent or a human. I just want to tell you I'm very honest, right? We both are. And so after we have this awful moment, because we all have bad moments as parents, and say I yell at the kids or whatever, when she comes back to the room, I'll say, well, I ruined them. It's done. Now that is a dark joke, because as a pastor, right, I spend a lot of time trying to help people move through things. And without fail, 
almost every issue I ever counsel someone with, whether it's uh, marital, personal, it always comes back to parents, somewhere, somehow. Yeah. Yep, you know what? <laughs> Done. Yeah. And as a parent, if it's just up to me, that is a scary thing, right? In the song, there's a line. It says this, And you are the mother, the mother of your baby child, the one to whom you gave life. And you have your choices. And these are what make men great. His ladder to the stars. Now, that's a quote from Steinbeck's story. But what they're referring to is, what is the weight of being a parent, a mother or a father? If I'm in this camp and everything is up to me, and yet everything's up to them, I can do everything right, and then they can choose to do everything wrong, and I have no control. The fear of a parent is that I could either, one, completely ruin them, or I could even do everything right, and they still go on to have their own power of choice to ruin their lives. And then as a parent, what happens over here if my child leaves the faith and they go become a Cain and they murder someone, right? How do I respond to this? Well, I guess God just created my child to send to hell. God has a plan. Hashtag. <laughs> you guys are real quiet today. Oh, I'm sorry. There is a third way that I believe that the, that the, the variant on this Hebrew word, the word timshul, what I believe that, that one of the very, the golden nuggets in the Old Testament narratives show us is that there is a different way that God comes about interacting with us in our life. And it's this way. And in the song, they have this phrase, that comes, uh, that goes through all this. And it says, but you are not alone in this. And you are not alone in this. As brothers, we will stand and we will hold your hand. Hold your hand. If there is a camp where everything is predestined and there is a camp where the weight of the world is on your shoulders, I believe that there's a third way which I called hand-holding. <laughs> I'm going to explain a little bit to you. In the Scriptures, one of the things we see with all the characters in the Old Testament with Cain and Abel, uh, with, with Moses, uh, with really all of them, Jacob and Isaac, every one of our Old Testament characters are born into a circumstance, meaning a world that they could not control. Moses is literally born into the enemy's family. Before he could make a choice, before he could control or will a thing to happen, he was born into the oppressor of his entire nation. He literally grew up in the bedrooms of his blood enemy, or who should have been his blood enemy. Cain is doing the only thing that Cain has ever been taught to do by his parents. I know there are different ways people want to teach this, but we're not going to go into that today. He's literally doing what he has been taught to do. He isn't doing anything wrong in this. And yet here he is. His brother doesn't know what it is to be rejected by the one who made him. To be told, you will never have a home. He hasn't, Abel has no idea what this is like. He has no control on his circumstances. 
Fast forward through all the Scriptures. I, I encourage you to go back and look. Nearly every character in the Scriptures are planted in a terrible environment, a terrible situation, circumstances beyond their control. See, what the Old Testament shows us, what the word temshul shows us, is that there is a way of understanding the world that is kind of in between the other two. We are powerless to control the situations that we are born into. There are still things that we cannot control. Guess what? You cannot control other people. The moment you do, you begin to go into a death spiral in your life. You cannot control circumstances, you know, the weather, right? Can you control the weather? Amen. Can you control the decade you were born into? Can you control that you were born into a happy whole home or into a broken home? Were you born into a home with parents who were educated or parents who were not educated? Were you born into parents who were addicts or not addicts? Were you born into a Muslim home, into a Christian home, into an atheist home, into a who cares home? There are circumstances you cannot control. They are outside of, of your power, your mashal. You have no power over these things. But there is something you always have power over. Thou mayest. You have a choice. How will you respond in these circumstances you find yourself in? Are you responsible for the abuse or the pain you've experienced that causes you to want to make terrible choices? I'm just going to tell you right now, I got to spend a lot of time with kids who had no control over their homes, and they don't have control over their actions the way that you might. There are things they deal with that you have no understanding of because you've never experienced it. There are things outside of them that have affected them in deep, powerful ways. And God might be present and God might be active, but this was not the hand of God. I'm sorry. If you were abused as a child, this is not God's plan. Sorry. It doesn't work that way. But you do have power. You might not have money or education. You might not have uh, influence or friends, or family. You might not have resources, but in every state of life, you have one thing, the choice on how you will respond in that moment. And as Christians, we're going to layer this differently. You have a choice in every moment of your life of how you will respond to the God who is present in every moment of your life. What's beautiful about the Scriptures is that when Jesus walks on this earth, He does not control the surroundings that are around Him. If you guys have ever read the temptation on the mountain, right, where Satan comes and tempts him to change the circumstances around him. Hey, make this rock into bread. Hey, make sure that when you fall off this rock that you can fly. Hey, you know what? Take control over something that wasn't given to you. Have power, exercise reign over these things. And he would not. Being nailed to a cross, at any moment he could change his circumstances. He could control all these things if he desired. But he did not. One of the harder things for, for us to learn in the Scriptures is that we do not have a God who will change every circumstance. 
That's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. And there are question marks that are left to be asked there. And, you know, we can dive into that some other time. But we do have a God who is always present in every circumstance. I don't know if... It's hard to allow you to fathom that right now. There are words that kind of escape us. I'll say it like this. The future of, of my children is not predetermined. At the same time, it, it's not fully dependent on my choices. There is a relationship there. There's a relationship between how my children choose to hold my hand to interact with me and how my children choose to interact if you would hold hands with God in their life. They can make these choices. There is a, an outcome, a path for their life. If my children choose to reject the presence of God, the involvement of God in their life, if they choose to reject my involvement in their life, if they choose to take a path which is harmful to them, guess what? I am powerless to change that for them. For example, if my kid ends up in jail, in prison, I am powerless to change this for them. But there's one thing that I can control. I can control my presence with them. I can choose to, to write them, to stay connected with them, to stay mentally, emotionally, physically available and present with them. I can choose to visit them. I can choose to listen to them. I can choose to scold them or to you name it. My presence is the ultimate gift. Just picture this. The way that God moves in the world, I call it hand-holding. Every single step or choice that we choose to make in the worlds and the circumstances we cannot control, God is walking there with us. Thou mayest means, you know what? It's up to you. But if you may do this, you may do that. But I'll be there either way. You might say, well, that's not how the story goes. Well, I'd have to do a lot of classes to teach you this is how the story goes. Because Israel in the entire world chooses to reject God, and guess what? He follows right after them. He comes to them when they don't come to Him. The way the story ends is that we have a God who never, ever leaves our side, but always leaves us one power. We can't control cancer. We can't control our experiences or our family or our spouse or our children, but I can always control my choice of how I will respond in this moment to the presence of God. Here's an example. So last night, I, you know, I was up late working the sermon. It was about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I heard the door open in our bedroom. So Liam slipped into the room. And he, he, he's been slightly kind of sick a little bit. He, he hasn't been like very sick, just slightly. And so he comes in the room, and so Nisa had, uh, she came back early from the retreat, so she was there with me. And he comes in, and he's like right between us. He's only in the room for maybe 30 seconds. I can hear him talk, I can, you know, I hear her. But it's one of those things where I'm going to choose to ignore them, you know, I'm going to roll over. And <laughs> You've already had your rest. I'm going <laughs> to, it's up to you. And I heard that sound that every parent dreads. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's amazing how quickly a parent can go from dead asleep to wide awake. Right? I jumped out of the bed. 
I just pick him up, you know, and you know how it goes, right? It's everywhere, right? And so I'm, I'm carrying him in the room to the bathroom and just putting him in front of a, you know, toilet or something, you know, and then I'm cleaning everything up. And in this moment where I'm like running around the bed and I'm about to grab him, I have a choice. Thou mayest respond in anger. Liam, I told you, go to the bathroom when you got to throw up. Why are you in my room? You know, all, all the things you would say, right? You're old enough to know how to take care of this. You go to the bathroom and you got to throw up. I have, I may choose a path or I may do the one that I did choose last night. <laughs> I love you. I love you. I love you. Aim. <laughs> I'll be right back. I love you. It's okay. It's not your fault. It's Because okay. the whole time he's apologizing. I'm so sorry. I'm sick. I'm sorry. I'm like, no, 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 stop. Just, I love you. You know. You know. <laughs> now, what happens is this. When we realize that our, our lives with God are thou mayest, Tim Shaw, every moment in our lives now has new meaning. No, every choice is not just up to me. The world is not, you know, it's not my responsibility to carry the weight of everything in my life. It's not just on me. I'm not alone in this. And no, God is not just playing strings and I'm just kind of floating through life. But in every moment, I have a choice to react, to interact, to hold the hand of God and to follow the leading of God in every moment of my life. It's a funny story, but here's the truth. In that moment last night, I could have reacted in a way that could have truly scarred this child for the rest of his life. I, truly. I'm sure if you guys have parents, you can actually recall moments when you were a child and something happened and you never forgot it. These seemingly ordinary moments in our life. And there, in each moment, when I'm waking up and I'm running around the bed, there's a moment where I can sense the, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God saying, thou mayest <laughs> take this path, but I would do this one. Would you like help in doing this one? Yes, I would. I would like help in, in cleaning up the sheets and, <laughs> you know, all that good stuff, right? Here's what happens. I don't have time to go into this sermon, but there, what's built into this view is that as people, as creations built in the image of God, we have the ability to literally create. Because what's beautiful and scary about this reality is I can choose in every moment as I respond to things I have no control. I cannot control that my kid is sick in my room throwing up on me. That is not God's plan. I'm sorry. You know, can't control this, Right? But I can choose to allow myself to connect to God in a way that is sensitive to create something life-giving, something healing for my child. When he reacts going, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, don't be mad. And I go, no, there's nothing to be afraid of. I can create in this moment something life-giving that's going to send him on a path in his life, with his parents and his children, when he is in the situation, when he is at school, I can create a path for him Thou mayest go this way or that way. And the way I choose to pour into this person is going to affect where they go and how they react. 
And everything is interconnected. And God is present in every moment. And you may have gone down a path where you could not control the harm and evil that was done to you. And right now you feel responsible and you're having a hard time holding the brokenness in. You can't control what was done to you. And no, it was not God who did it to you. But you can control your willingness to allow God to be with you in the pain, in the evil even, in the this is not fair, and the why me's, and you can allow God to be in this with you. See, sometimes we want to have this camp and just want to point fingers and blame people. You know what? All this sucks and it's not fair and this and this and this and this. Sometimes it's easier to not take responsibility for our lives. But sometimes taking all the responsibility crushes our very souls. So the question this morning, in every moment, in every second, in every situation and circumstance in your life, you have a choice to make. Thou mayest. Will you choose to respond to the God who is present, who is pursuing you, who deeply loves you and wants good for you, who's going to guide and to connect and to lead you into every single situation? No matter how unfair or ugly or... Because every moment of our lives we have a a potential to create something new and beautiful. You will create something every single day. In every connection that you have, in every moment of your day, you are creating something in the people around you. But what are you going to create? The Scriptures tell us that we might not have power over our circumstances, but we have power over what we choose to do with them. And the worst and scariest thing is that every one of those choices affects the people around us. As a scary weight to have. But the reality is this. You are not alone in this. Would you guys stand with me? So we've got communion this morning. Uh, depending on the church background you grew up in, you might call it Eucharist. The Lord's table. What's beautiful about the table is that it is an invitation, meaning thou mayest every single time. If you notice, we will not run to you, hold you down, and throw the juice and the bread down your throat. Not predestined, right? At the same time, I'm not going to guilt every one of you who walks out here going, nope, not for me. I have too much offense today. I'm not going to do it. See, The table reminds us of the way that God works in our lives. In every second, every morning, when you awake and you go to sleep, God is present, inviting you to be present with Him. Hey, I'm here. Would you like to take a seat? You may take a seat or you may continue on your way. All the way to the end of your days, this is the presence of God in your life. In every moment, I've been shocked to find this. In every moment in my entire life, I if I will allow myself to be present with God, He's there. No matter how ugly or bitter or beautiful the moment is, if I will allow myself to be present, God is there. God is there. So Father, we ask that you would prepare our hearts and minds. Uh, We understand that there are two different questions. Are we going to allow ourselves in every moment to take the hand of yours 
And then are we going to allow ourselves to take the hand of another? When people are present to help us, to be near us, when people need us, we have a choice to be present with them. We ask you to allow this kind of work through us this morning in Jesus' name.